You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 68. To the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. Today in the show, we are sharing an interview with Chef Rob Ruiz. Rob is the chef and owner of The Land and Water Company, an award-winning restaurant in Carlsbad, California, that serves an eclectic mix of locally sourced meats, fruits, vegetables, and, most importantly for this episode, sustainable, traceable seafood. Over the past several years, Rob has become well-known for both his creativity in the kitchen as well as his outspoken advocacy for responsibly sourced and traceable seafood. Rob was recently recognized as the winner of the 2016 Ocean Award in London as the chef who has made the most outstanding commitment to ocean conservation. He is a member of President Obama's task force on co combating illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing and seafood fraud. And his restaurant, The Land's Water Company, has been voted as the best of Carlsbad for two straight years. On top of all of this, Rob has become a central figure in Vaquita conservation efforts, partnering with conservation groups to host and cook at multiple events that showcase Vaquita conservation efforts. This interview was conducted by EOC producer Sean Bogle and was recorded at Rob's Restaurant, the Land and Water Company in Carlsbad, California. Let's jump in. My name is Robert Ruiz. I am the chef owner of the Land and Water Company, um, and I have been in a kitchen since I was 17 years old. I was born here in Oceanside, California. I moved to the Big Island when I was 17 years old. Um, I started off out there. I went to the University of Hawaii, and I was just starving, putting myself through school. So I started to cook out there, and uh, I just got very lucky and worked my way up to the Four Seasons of the Hawalalai Resort there. And uh, I was able to learn uh, how to be a chef and how to work and cook uh, on one of the most isolated island chains in the world. So I learned how to, you know, we had our own aquaculture. We raised our own sh uh, shrimp. We raised our own fish. We had our own gardens. You know, we dealt with fishermen and ranchers, you know, and that's how I was taught to cook. And uh, when I came back here to the States, to the mainland, it, um, it was a shock to me, you know? So I realized that not everybody had their own garden and was like, you know, um, as responsible as I was trained to be. Um, so starting there, I ended up working with a chef named Alan Wong, who's a James Beard Award winner and a Hawaiian regional cuisine founder. Um, so starting there is when I became, um, I guess, 100% kind of immersing myself in sustainability. So I started working with uh, the U.S. Department of Commerce. Um, I helped them to build their fishwatch.gov, which is their website on uh, getting sustainable fish, U.S. fisheries, sustainable seafood information out to the general public. Uh, I work with NOAA. I work with uh, Southwestern Fisheries Science Center here specifically in San Diego. Um, I work at Scripps Institute of Oceanography. Um, and UCSD, the campus down there. Um, I'll be going down there this year again in August, and I help to teach a, it's a master's level course down there to their grad students um, explaining uh, sustainability and, and uh, what's called conscious consumerism. So explaining how uh, our information that we provide to our guests uh, is great for business. The more our consumers know about our creatures, uh, the better it is for the environment as well as um, 
you know, return on investment when it comes to having a successful restaurant. Um, but through the years now, I mean, uh, from working with Southern Wine and Spirits, I do the Aspen Food and Wine Classic every year with them. Um, you know, every, you know, Marine Stewardship Council, uh, I'm part of the Seafood for the Future or Fish for the Future from the Long Beach Aquarium, the Aquarium of the Pacific. Um, so I'm kind of working on sustainability on a national level, but doing it with, um, you know, nationally with the Department of Commerce uh, and the U.S. government, but also locally here in San Diego, which happens to be kind of like the Super Bowl of sustainability. Um, you know, with Scripps Institute of Oceanography, you have 100 years of hard science there. Uh, you have over 250 scientists at the Southwestern Fisheries Science Center that specifically study their highly migratory species. So it's all the marine mammals, you know, whales, swordfish, uh, seven different species of tuna. Um, so, and also located down there is the Inter-American Tropical Tuna Commission, which sets pars and quotas for over 22 countries surrounding the Pacific Ocean. Um, and I work with a guy down there named Bob Olson, who is basically the uh, Johnny Appleseed of all tuna in the world, you know. He manages and helps to produce um, a status um, report, basically, on the overall health of, the, of all tuna stocks, you know. So when, you know, obviously bluefin being, you know, North Atlantic, South Atlantic, or Mediterranean all threaten uh, Pacific bluefin stocks being at 4% of what they were 20 years ago, he'll basically say, you know, th- you, know you can use a big eye that's a warm water tuna that reproduces all year long, that's very fecundant, that is, you know, has a healthy overall stock that has a monitored uh, or the amount of fishing pressure on it is moderate so that way you know I can recommend what tuna for restaurants and everyone to carry nationally you know so it's a you know it's a kind of a it's an uphill battle to say the least but that's kind of like a a lot of the people that I work with in a nutshell when you went to Hawaii that was life-changing for you absolutely it was that that opened your eyes to a culture that one you didn't know and then of course it was really an awakening when you returned to the mainland and you, did you feel like you saw such a difference? Did you feel like you had that it was your your responsibility to continue not only continue what they're doing over there, but just to spread this word? Yeah, it was just you know I grew up even here growing up in San Diego as a surfer, and surfing is what led me out to Hawaii. Um, you know, so I spent I've logged you know ten ten thousand days plus in the water. Um, and watching the reefs over there, living there for 10 years and watching the environment over there slowly kind of deteriorate from, you know, just, you know, the population over there growing to cruise ships to, you know, watching the reefs die, you know, it was just heartbreaking. So if I felt, you know, I found myself in a position to do something about it, it was very natural. It was something that was like, all right, great. Not only is my food more natural and my, and healthier and wholesome, but also I'm able to, uh, create a, a business cycle that is slowly whittling down the negative impact of, 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 of you know, how we fish our oceans. Um, and then specifically me, when I have a sushi emphasis, I have a, I have a very strong emphasis on my food of, of all the creatures out of the sea, then it's my job to, you know, harvest them responsibly. So you would say that you, um, you are attracted to the natural world and everything that's in it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm vi- and you feel like that, should that be important to other people? Well, I think um, whether or not people realize it, it we have no choice. You know, it's like the butterfly effect, or what you know, you know, and what what you go and order, you know, going out to eat, you know, what you're buying, you know, at that restaurant impacts what they order, and what they order impacts what fishermen are harvesting what, and how how many vessels and how hard we're fishing the environment, the ocean makes an impact on the the overall health of the ocean overall. 
and that ocean health is vital to the planet. So here we are. Do you feel like you are kind of a pioneer in this, or is there is there a group of people doing something very similar? Is it there are there are many chefs that are doing what we what I'm doing, and it's not necessarily being a pioneer. Uh, it's just becoming more than a chef. A lot of people now have kind of uh, labeled me a chef activist, which uh, is a little I wouldn't you know if I'm going that far. I just think that I was taught as a chef that you have to know exactly what you're doing and you have to know what you're serving and you have to know how to prepare it. And, uh, you know, doing that responsibly is just part of that program. And there are many chefs that do what I do. You know, there's a, a lot of national, you know, the slow food movement, the slow fish movement, you know, a lot of chefs collaboration, chefs role, you know, there's a lot of these groups of chefs that are kind of all, you know, disciples of the, uh, uh, Chez Panisse and, 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 and the you know, natural cooking and natural food movement. Um, my focus is within that movement is specifically on seafood. That's where my expertise lies just because my life experience has lended that to me. You know? how, how long, as far as you know, has sustainable um, cooking and, and prep been going on? I mean, you said you saw it in life, so obviously yeah. it was already going on, but yeah. even then, did it seem like that was new, and was it an isolated case? No, it, it, it's just, fortunately, what is unique about the culture over there, specifically the Hawaiian people, is that they learned how to fashion everything they needed to survive out of plant matter, out of what they had around them. They were also exceptional uh, gardeners and foragers. You know, they were able to take a very extremely limited amount of land space and grow all the taro, you know, lilikoi, passion fruit, uh, uh, bread fruit, uh, you know, all these things that they needed to sustain their lives. They were able to grow it in a, in a limited space and do so without negatively impacting the island, you know. That was where it, it was like spawned into me. Um, this movement has been, it's basically going back to what they did in France, you know, 400 years ago. It's what they did in Japan, you know, in feudal times. It was that, it was before mechanized and, and processed and the, and the modern times kind of took over and it wasn't important uh, how we got the products. It was more important how, that our shelves in our grocery stores were full of them. That's the thinking that uh, kind of, uh, you know, swayed everyone's thought process and made it so it was innate. No one cared about the ingredients or where they were coming from. It was just that 100,000 people all needed them all at once. So obviously there's, there's still, not everybody's on board with sustainable, but it's not necessarily, well, and you would have to tell me this, but it's not necessarily um, that they don't want to do it, maybe they're not aware, it's, or, or they just haven't quite had that experience, or they don't have uh, any kind of connection between the vessel to bring Right. It. So it's, it, 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 like, very young. Yeah, it is. It's just that they are not aware of it, you know, and it's not, and it's not their own faults, you know, it's, you know children of the 50s and 60s, you know, if you live in Iowa and you go to your local store and it's always been full of all this seafood, then why would you ever think that there's a problem in the ocean when there's overflowing amounts of this stuff being stuffed onto all the shelves? It's just a disconnection. It's easy for someone who lives down at the beach and goes down every single day and watches the water turn brown and watches the reefs die and watches, you know, the birds kind of fade away and the, the density of the fish population. When you can witness it firsthand, 
that's pretty natural. But when it, when you know when you're landlocked and everything's already on your plate, you, you're not aware of it. You don't you're not aware that there's a problem, especially in the sushi world when everyone's been force fed this bluefin tuna. No one, no customers are trying to hurt the planet. They only want to do what's best, and they want to eat what's best. And so, for 40 years here in Southern California, every sushi bar tells their customers to eat bluefin. Then that's what they're going to eat. It's not because it's the best; it's because that's what they're told to eat. So we're just now telling them what is actually the right thing to eat and why. Besides what you're telling them in your own restaurant, are there other forums that people could learn about this? I mean, is there is there a movement to create some sort of standardized system um, where people can walk into a restaurant or even a grocery store for that matter right. and have peace of mind and not always have to sit between this and this because I feel like that's where we are right now whether you're getting farm-raised salmon or whether you're getting Atlantic salmon and then like the, the small discrepancies within each I mean it's, right. it's confusing to people right no it's super confusing and, and not only that is it confusing then you have to factor in that there's tons of fish fraud where people are trying to sell a product however they can and they don't care about how much it, uh, in negative impact it has they just want the profit profit margin off of it um, there is more and more, I mean, like the Whole Foods movement, the Bravo TV top chef, the 40 million people a year that are watching that, the, you know, the outside magazine, the saver, the food and wines, those people are getting plugged into a certain level of consciousness where they are becoming more and more aware of it. And it's not um, that it hasn't been always going on. It has always been going on. It's just that we are now in a time and age with instant information on our phones and you can sit here and Google anything. It's, it's the information age that we're in now that is bringing this matter to the forefront. Um, so, I mean, there's apps on people's phones. There's different websites that people can go to. But overall, it's slowly like, you know, sustainability now is kind of a word people hear and it doesn't mean anything to them because they hear it now all the time. So now what's, it's more about being responsible, responsible fishing, you know, um, uh, having some type of uh, bringing a, a, an emotional connection with the individual into what they're actually putting in their mouths is uh, that's the, where the awareness happens. And that's kind of slowly happening more and more as people can actually, what am I putting in my body? Oh, that's exactly what I'm putting in my body, you know. How would you convince somebody otherwise that has been eating the same product forever, who is still alive, still thinks that, you know, believe that they're healthy? Right. And I'm sure all this comes at a cost. It's very difficult to sway an opinion when they're looking at a higher price. Right. And just what they might think is an opinion. Right. Right. What, is, what sort of strategy well, do you use besides just instantaneous technology? Right. Well, what, I mean... When it comes to like, you know, without the cell phones, without, you know, if you're looking at like people with less technology, stuff like that, by, by finding the right things to put into your restaurant and rewarding the purveyors and the companies that are harvesting things responsibly, it's those companies, it's those entities themselves that are putting the investment back into those places. And so you'll have like, um, and a good example is uh, the Selva shrimp product out of Vietnam. It's raised in these mangrove forests. But what they've done is that they've, 10% of all their money that they make goes back to these fishermen and they're putting it back with them and they're rewarding them for maintaining the health and planting more mangrove and to grow their environment more rich. So even though that they just see the same thing they've seen for 100 years, they're now getting more money and they're being trained to help uh, propagate a, a, a healthier environment and they don't know why, but they know that that's where the money is. So it's kind of like, you know, 
we're, we're, we're leading them in the right direction by trying to reward them financially and then also trying to, um, we try to glamorize them. We try to say, look, you're the fisherman. You're the one who's risking your life diving for this urchin. You're the one who's, you know, uh, chiseling Percebes off the rocks in Spain. You know, you're the ones who needed to be, you're the ones who need to be, um, people need to know what you're doing, you know? So it's, it's really, a, uh, it's like an all-out, it's like uh, infoganda, you know? It's like getting this information out to people as, and using it like a weapon. It's an assault out there to break people's habits, you know? It's, it's something that, that I feel most people come looking at WWF's perspective or looking at Noah's perspective, you know? They're researching it. They're processing all the information. They're publishing it out, publishing it in these scientific journals, but regular everyday Joes aren't, you know, going to the scientific journal website and seeing the new, latest, uh, you know, documents or reports that are public are, are pu- being published. What we have to do is kind of dumb it down and be like, hey, you know, just regular people off the street need, be, need to be able to understand this stuff. You've got you've to hook them into thinking like, think about consciously like you're saying, right. when you're eating this meal, don't just think just about putting food in your tummy. Right. It is involved a lot of other people and wildlife same time. Right. No, that's, um, you know, Sarah Mesnick has coined one of the best phrases when it comes to that is that, you know, we've, we have, we have unknowingly eaten our way into this problem where we're importing 90% of this. We say, oh, the U.S. fisheries are sustainable, but in reality, we're importing 90% of our nation's seafood. So we've made ourselves, you know, oh, we're sustainable. We're, we don't have any problems. But then we import 90% of our seafood. So we've exported our problems and are paying to bring it back in. Um, eating our way into this problem, we need to eat our way out of it. So what we do is that it's not, it, like you're saying, for the average person coming by, what we're trying to do is make our cuisine. We're trying to make our food be because of the quality or the caliber of it or how it's presented and, and, and the actual flavor and, and, and how people get to enjoy it. We're trying to make the, like here at my restaurant, what we do is that we try to make the food so good here, people, people are like, wow, that was the best pork chop I've ever had in my life. Are you kidding me? You brined it and cold smoked it and it came with a black, a savory, you know, black truffle bread pudding. That's insane. It was delicious. Oh, by the way, it also came from Salmon Creek Ranch, where it's humanely raised, humanely slaughtered, blah, 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 blah. You know, we don't browbeat people with our sustainability message. We browbeat them with how good our food is, and then they'll come in and be like, oh, and it's sustainable? Really? I thought, which many people have, is that they came, that sustainable food was great, but it all tastes like sawdust or, you know, that people, oh, here, this is sustainable, but, you know, here, it's wheat germ on toast or whatever. You know, it's like people don't really get that. It, the food has to taste good first, you know. And so what I have done and what's led me to Aspen, where I was doing all sustainable seafood demonstrations in Aspen or at other food and wine events or, you know, what's put my name on the map as a chef is that the food is excellent. People are like, they're blown away by how good it is. Then they come and they realize that it's all sustainably harvested. You know, then they realize that I'm, you're not hurting the ocean and you can eat this good. That's where that little aha moment happens. So, is there is there a system though? So as far as like, uh, if you could walk us through as as far as what you would tell somebody 
where it comes from, because obviously there's several stages. There's the fishermen, right? And then it has to get uh, translocated, and then also it's got to go to a market, right? So, is there a system in place, um, or is it still kind of a disarray in its connection, so that it becomes a little more fluid? Right. No. The best example is uh, this guy named Bill Fox, who represents uh, World Wildlife Foundation U.S. to the United Nations. And I came to him because I said, "Look, I'm working with the Marine Stewardship Council, but they're not perfect. They have flaws." And I work with um, the Monterey Bay Aquarium, the Seafood Watch List, and it has flaws. And then I work with NOAA, and they have all the scientific data, but they don't have the catch, the equipment data. There's all these, there's many pillars to sustainability, and these people are only carrying one of them. And there, and, and there, you know, there isn't this traceability. How do I do it? You know, how do I fix this problem? And he said, right now, the, the Marine Stewardship Council globally is doing the best job of showing where it was caught, what vessel caught it, then where it was sent, how they processed it, then how, what purveyor it went to, and then what market it went to, and then how it got to your restaurant. They're the ones doing at least the, the best job. It's not good or perfect at all, but they're doing the best job. They have the strongest framework that they've laid down for it. So that's what they're like. So we're asking everyone to get at least up to that level of the MSC. And then once everyone gets there, then we'll raise the bar to where it really needs to go. And that's the problem is that within the scientific community, you have people that are in San Diego that have been working on an issue for 20 years. And then you have one in Long Beach that's also been working on an issue for 20 years. And it's the same issue and it's the same amount of money going to these same people researching the same thing, but they don't talk to each other or collaborate and realize that they could have each saved a decade of their own lives if they just would have collaborated together. Because the way that the scientific community is working, that you know, getting jobs and grants and getting, uh, getting paid as a scientist to go do this research, there's, there's all these holes where you know, it's just not, it's not quite meshing together yet. So as we create more buzz, as we make people more aware of what we're doing, you know, that's when we'll finally be able to weave these things together the right way. But right now, it's not there yet. We have all these isolated third-party certification programs. And then on top of that, we have all these scientists that aren't quite organized. And then if we really did, like uh, the Marine Stewardship Council had, you know, Safeway and a bunch of our U.S.'s national uh, supermarket chains about four years ago, they were like, oh, sustainability? Awesome. We want to go. We're all going to go 100% sustainable on all our seafood. And then when they tried to make that switch, there's not enough sustainable fisheries to support it. So when they all wanted to go nationally sustainable, they couldn't because they, they, they didn't have enough purveyors or enough sources of sustainably harvested seafood to fill their shelves. So now you have this mix, sustainable and not sustainable, but they're on the same shelves in the same market. So that's the problem, is now the consumers are confused. If the scientists and the third-party certification program people are confused, then the consumers have no hope. You know, We have to make it so it's you know spoon-fed and color-coded and very simple, and it's not there yet. It's, you have to be a chef or you have to be a scientist or somebody who's really immersed in this every day to really have a full understanding of it. And so what we need to do is take that information and get everybody to get on board and say, this is step one, two, and three, and this is how it works. Because you go into, you can go into Rubio's Fish Tacos and see that they have all their fish labeled as sustainable and have sustainability charts, right? And then you go down the street, you know, to, you know, another retail or franchised, you know, food chain, and there's none of it on there, and it, and they're still both in business, and people aren't really discerning between the two. So, it's 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 definitely tough. Um, what I came up with because of that was a, a, a QR code. I kind of made a splash with the sustainable network because I made a QR code that you could scan with your phone 
that was on uh, soy paper with uh, edible ink. So it was like I create. I stole it from a pastry chef. How you print like a picture on a wedding cake. And so by putting the QR code, I can put it on my food. I can send it out in the restaurant. People can scan it with their phone, and it would tell them, okay, it takes you to fishwatch.gov, or it would take you to, um, I had an albacore fisherman where I created a YouTube video where it took you to a video where you could watch the video of how your fish was caught. I did one uh, for understanding urchin where you could go and learn and read about the urchin, see divers harvesting their urchin. So I basically made my own traceability system completely transparent in a way that you could scan it you know, if you had a phone on you. But... That was what I put on the plate, to, and, and you know now here we are four years later, and now I'm working uh, uh, with the U.S. Department of Commerce on this uh, presidential program from Obama's cabinet on um, eliminating. We're, we're trying to change that 90% of seafood that's imported to um, being 100% sustainable and inspected. Do you put those QR codes in your food now? Absolutely. We put them out on like every table. will get at least one that goes to their table. Okay. And you can use it as a, you know, you do a sashimi or you make a roll or any type of plate. You'll just put one on the side. And it's very cool because when it, when it comes to um, the diner's table, they're like, oh, what is this? And when they realize what it is, um, they, will, they will scan it. And then they can also actually eat the QR code, which blows their minds. Do you know what a fajita is? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. So when was the first time you learned what a vaquita was? I had, I'm, I am kind of lucky. Uh, my father growing up, he worked for a medical company that had a maquiladora, basically a factory in Ensenada. So I would go down two months or two times every month since I was about 12 years old and go down to Baja and go down to Ensenada, Rosarita, all the playas, you know. And, and uh, so I, you know, had heard about it then. Uh, you know, it was like a... You know, you'd see like a little stuffed animal or you hear kids talking about it. It was like a, it's like a koala to Australia or something like that. You know, it was kind of like their little cute little mascot. Um, I went to Hawaii and didn't hear anything, you know. And then when I came back, I started to see uh, flashes of red about the vaquita just online, you know, on online internet, social media stuff, working with Noah and all these guys. You know, you started to hear that vaquita name bounced around and hearing about, oh, there's some... You know, there's a problem with it. It's uh, that's super threatened, and then all of a sudden, it was, you know, went from, you know, zero to red really fast. You know, it's 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 critical at this point. Um, and then the last year or so, after opening up my own restaurant, I've been going down to Baja and cooking down there, um, uh, the Valle de Guadalupe, Ensenada, going and working down there. So it's now it's now it's something that you know is in conversations, you know, all the time, especially between San Diego and Baja. So are you doing anything to uh, remedy or assist the, um, to save the vaquita? Yeah, absolutely we are. Explain your effort there. So I started uh, just with Sarah Mesnick and working with Noah and um, started by the first thing I did is right when we found out about it, we held a fundraiser, a fundraiser here at my restaurant, you know, where I asked the guys from Noah to come in, WWF Mexico came up. Um, a bunch of our friends came and basically we threw a big dinner party and I had chefs from Baja come up and chefs from Oceanside in San Diego. We had a, a, an awareness dinner basically where we talked about it and um, a lot of people came and a lot of um, philanthropists and a lot of people very interested in um, the, our environment and our food scene here between Baja and San Diego and we were able to raise quite a bit of money for it. That was the first thing that we did. So, and, you know... We had people, I think one guy at the time wrote a check that night for 20 grand. You know, who do I give this to? Um, so having dinners here, awareness, then I also put it out. I have a you know, social network, uh, probably 
about four or five thousand people that I go out on all my, you know, from Twitter to Instagram to um, you know anything I get my hands on. So we've been putting it out hard on all of our social media, letting people know about it. Um, I published a, a video um, that I got from Noah that actually. Um, when they first put in this new gillnet band, they had a boat out that was a, an up doing uh, observations, and they actually caught a female vaquita swimming on camera. And it was the first time that they'd captured one on film in, in, you know, in a very long time. And so I put that video out on all my social media. So I told, so all of my diners know about the vaquita. Anybody that's followed me as a chef knows about the vaquita. All my chefs know about it, and now all the chefs around me all know about it. Um, I've also gone up to Long Beach and spoken on a few panels. Um, there's a marine mammal workshop um, that was about three months ago where it was basically like an emergency meeting that was focused on the vaquita. And we had the, the, the fishermen, the shrimp guys from Baja come up. The actual fishermen came up. Um, you know, all the guys from the WWF Mexico um, and you know, basically the heavy hitters of Mexico's uh, environmental agencies that are all working on this project right now. And they brought with them some of this shrimp. That was the first time shrimp that was caught with these new trawlers, these new nets that are vaquita free, dolphin free nets. They had finally a vaquita friendly shrimp product. And I took it up to Long Beach and cooked it for the first time there. And it's the same thing, putting it in, putting it in people's mouths and letting them know that they, you can eat this. This is, this is actually, um, you're supporting these local fishermen, these kind of art, artisanal art, shrimp, shrimp men and fishermen are all being supported with this. We're, we're helping to positively impact the Baja, the Gulf, by carrying this product. And then we're also helping to save the vaquita and raise money for the vaquita by carrying this shrimp product. And that, again, went out on all on every social media network that I have. And uh, so that and, you know, letting, you know, anybody that comes in contact with me kind of learn about it through me because it's, uh, it's, it's super important to me. The main thing is that once, once we start losing species like this, it's basically a barometer of the overall health of our whole planet. You know, Once we start losing these species and they start ticking away, well, one's going to go, then it's a domino effect. And not only is it a domino effect, but it, but it happens faster. You know? So it, it, it's, an, it's going to, if we don't try to put our finger at the dike here, so to speak, it's gonna, uh, it's gonna, we're going to lose more species a lot faster. Do you feel like uh, your uh, your efforts are heavily recognized and you're developing momentum? Yes, I do. I can tell you that even just based on the amount of diners I have here, you know, or even the methods or the style of our cuisine here. Uh, we were open for nine months and we were ranked uh, number seven in the top ten restaurants in the city of San Diego. So. Uh, the chef, the culinary community here, the food critics here, uh, anybody that's concerned with you know food here in San Diego, um, has has embraced what we're doing, and, and definitely. And I, and I work with a lot of other restaurants before this, and this the people people want to know about what they're eating, and and they when they finally get to actually talk to someone who really knows about it, that's when their eyes light up and their frustrations kind of leave them, you know. So, but for the most part, um, people that you've asked, they don't know. They don't know, or do they know? Do they know what a vaquita is and what its issue is? Most of the time, uh, the the actual name vaquita, no, no, they don't. Most people don't recognize it. They have no idea what you're talking about. When you explain to them, uh, you know, oh, it's a dolphin or it's a porpoise or oh, it's this, 
it's actually the most critically endangered marine mammal in the world. Yeah. By having the, the events here or by going up to, to these uh, marine mammal workshops, um, it, it, puts, it puts this Vaquita story in the mouths of all of my staff, all of my guests, all of our media, my, you know, all the publicists, you know, anybody who's coming to try to, you know, um, you know, that's interested in the food we're doing. Then you know they they pick they get a little imprint of it and they pick it up and we'll start to talk about it. But no, it's very limited. People have no idea. People are like most people are like I don't speak Spanish. What are you talking about? What is that? You know. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's, that's another facet that needs to happen as we change. Yeah. Well, well, the thing like one point that's super important that that you know government regulation or third party certification or all these scientists or even the fishermen themselves what what people are doing is that they they're trying to feed food down food being like information and awareness they're trying to they're trying to have it trickle down from the top down through all of our little different industries but the reality is is that it's more uh it's a wiser move because the consumers vote for their dollars. So if you inform the consumers who are the end of this whole chain of information, if the consumers get aware of it first, then they'll start to change the whole infrastructure from the bottom because they're not going to buy this type of shrimp anymore. They're not going to eat at that restaurant anymore because they're going to start putting their money in the places that support all the information that we're trying to stuff into them. So do you have a personal stake in trying to help the Bikita? I mean, is there? I mean, is there the connection to? Because I realize that they're doing sustainable, um, which is uh, for all species. Right. But since the vaquita situation is so dire, does it? Do you have a, my, a my, personal agenda? Yeah. To, to well, set an example. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. You know. Of course. That. That. I definitely want to lead by example, but also. My main objective is not only this one species in particular. My main uh, issue is that, you know, with 400 million Americans that are just wolfing these creatures out of the ocean faster than we can, we can faster than the ocean can even produce them. My, my goal, uh, you know, starting, you know, a decade ago is that, you know, I wanted to, in, in my mind, I wanted to find, okay, well, what is a, what's a restaurant or a, a, a seafood or even a sushi restaurant for me? It was like, well, what's a sushi bar going to look like in 2050? You know, what's it going to look like? What fish are going to be on the menu? Uh, how how will they be harvested? Where will they come from? You know, are we would you would we in 2050? Are we still going to receive a whole fish, or are we only going to get portioned, you know, pre-packed pieces of an aquacultured fish because there are no fish left and it's just jellyfish out there because of the acidification or whatever, you know? So my my whole mindset is that I want to create a sushi bar that is fully sustainable, uh, you know, at, at thinking about, you know, in 20 or 30 years from now, I want to do that now and then work my way back and get everybody else on board with it, you know? And, and not just with not just with the proteins that we're bringing in, or our agriculture or our farming, you know? We have our own, we have like in the restaurant here, we, we recycle all glass, all paper, all plastic. We reclaim all of our own water. We use all of our own wastewater. It goes to water our own garden. And then, you know, we, we, don't, we don't flush water down the sink and just laugh about it. Any drop of water that we can save we use to go into our own garden to grow our own food back into the restaurant. You know, we're trying to make the minimum amount of impact on our own environment, but still support ourselves. You know, so it's not just 
about the proteins or uh, you know it's it's overall it's every aspect of it you know every every chef up every chef every station in the restaurant has a little basket that's labeled organic waste and we compost all that and then that goes into our garden as well you know so we're trying to think of the whole the whole picture what will a real a, a delicious and clean and sustainable sushi bar be like in 2050 that's my like long-term goal because I want to see that happen and I want to still be able to make the food that I want to make so if you know if I have to literally go out and and save each one of these species at a time because that's what I want to be able to have in 2050 and then that's what I'll do you know so I said, well, that would be your that's your what's next yeah yeah is 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 and yeah obviously the 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 you know just personally the you know being a a surfer and being in love with the ocean then you know, of course, you know, I mean, anything that negatively impacts the ocean is a, is a problem to me. I want to do something to, to, to help make people aware of it or fix it. But, uh, you know, the Vaquita is, if I'm in a position to do something about it, I am going to do it. But also, there's a bigger picture than that. Because if we just save this one Vaquita and we, we, we're able to save it, we're able to help. Well, there's 500 other issues and 500 other creatures that are all having these same facing the same consequences so you know we can do them one at a time but my goal is to do it but also think of a solution where we can find a, a bigger way to fix the problem instead of fixing them one at a time we should fix it all at once and be done with it so what would you what would you say to the general public then about how they eat how they live their life and, and, and as far as the repercussions well I would say just people you know, just think about what they're actually putting in their mouths for a second. Just, I mean, it's that easy, you know. Where, where did this come from? Why, why am I eating this, you know? Am I eating this because, you know, I'm starving and I have no money and I'm broke? Well, you know, I've, I've been there, you know, and it was, uh, I bought a bag of rice and I started going around my neighborhood looking for fruit on trees, you know? I mean, <laughs> there's that level and then there's also, you know, money's no object, I can have whatever I want. Well, therein lies the rub, you know, because some people are like, oh, this is the last bluefin tuna in the world. Oh, it was delicious. You know, I mean, so there's, there's, you know, you want to tell a general public, you just want to just think about what they're doing, you know. Uh, you know, we've, we're, we're such a fast-paced life, you know, we're so, we're so, we're, we're modern, we're, you know, what's, what's new is, is good for a minute. We're, we're constantly wanting what's next, what's next, what's next. So, for for us, you know, we just we're hoping that people will think about what they would put in their mouths, and that uh, you know we can create that our we can create enough interest and enough uh, energy behind the topic that it'll permanently impact things. But I do see it. I mean, if I go to my friend's house that are like you know in their 30s, they just had a kid, and you watch what's in their fridge and what they're eating as going to someone in their 60s, you know, the generations are slowly evolving. There is more and more uh, consciousness in the way that we're eating now compared to, you know, 30 years ago. Growing up, you know, the 60s and 70s, there was always, you know, the, what people would call, the, you know, the, the hippie movement or people being, you know, green or in, in environmentally aware, stuff like that. Well, you know, people a decade back, 15 years ago, people would say, oh, you know, the oceans are in trouble. We better do something about it. And everyone kind of just brushed it off as if like, oh, yeah, you know, we've heard that before. Well, the thing now is that now it's really no joke. You know, we're, we are, we're, at a, we're at a point where without 
if we just remain indifferent to what's going on, we're going to see like an extinction level event in the next five to eight years. It's going to be either the, you know, the CO2 levels acidifying the oceans. It's going to be watching not just a fishery or, or, or a species be extinguished, but it's going to happen across the board. And, and it's going to be something that we will have no choice about because it was our own fault. We, we are, uh, we are, we are fishing and eating as if we have two or three more planets to use. But, but the sad thing is that we don't, you know? And I guess, I guess that's a thing that I try to really convey to people that, you know, people dismiss this environmental awareness stuff they've been hearing all the time. Well, now it's no joke. We're really, like, it, it, we, it's past crisis event, especially with the Vikita. We're, we're way past crisis. Every day that we can make a little bit of progress is a day that we're helping to save even our own environment, you know? So, I mean, that's kind of everything in a nutshell. It's like we're, don't dismiss it anymore. We're not in a time in a, in a time or in a society where we can ignore this anymore. You know, it's, we're right now, every, all the progress that we're making is just to get back to even because we're negative right now. So, that's it. is there hope? Yeah, I think... Hope for the Vikita, hope for our cause, hope the, for our practice? There, there is. There is absolutely hope. But the thing is, is that we have to stop thinking uh, like Gandhi and start thinking like we're, you know, commanding an army. We have to be proactive. We can't sit back and just hope that things get better, you know. We really have to pick up a box or a fishing pole or a knife and we actually have to go out and do something about it, you know, because no one else is. That's the biggest thing that I've learned is that in your mind with these issues, you think there's some team of a thousand scientists just working viciously every day to solve this problem and it's not true it's usually boils down to one person that's alone that's been working on this project for 40 years and no one's ever talked with them you know so it's it's time to kind of like look behind the curtain and see what's there and then you know do something about it all right that was our conversation with chef rob ruiz owner of the land and water company in carlsbad california Rob's passion for ocean conservation issues is truly infectious, and it's easy to see why he has risen to such prominence as a chef and advocate for responsibly harvested seafood. If you live in Southern California, you definitely have to check out Rob's restaurant. But if you don't, you can still follow Rob's advice and be more conscious of the seafood that you are eating. You can visit fishwatch.gov to see purchasing advice before buying seafood, But unfortunately, as Rob explains in the interview, it can be pretty confusing trying to figure out what is sustainably harvested and what isn't, even with resources like fishwatch.gov. But this doesn't give us a free pass. We have an obligation to educate ourselves if we're going to continue consuming these valuable ocean resources. As usual... We'll have links to learn more about Rob and his restaurant, The Land and Water Company, on the show notes page for this episode. You can also find links to Fish Watch and other seafood purchasing guides on that show notes page, which you will find at wildlensinc.org slash EOC68. And I'll mention very briefly here that if you enjoyed today's interview, you can help us out quite a bit by leaving us an honest rating and review on iTunes. Just search for Eyes on Conservation in the iTunes store and let us know what you think. This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky, along with EOC producer Sean Bogle. Our theme music is by The Humidors. (laughs) 